Okay, everybody, we're back after another exciting and exhilarating weekend of college basketball here with you today, uh, Monday, March 7th, I believe. Um, and we're six days away from Selection Sunday, uh, really a key weekend in the college basketball world. Uh, regular season wraps up. Um, not uh, too crazy of a weekend in terms of losing and winning, but uh, definitely some shakeups we'll talk about today. But um, probably the biggest event uh, of the weekend, um, and everybody knew this going into it, was the Duke versus North Carolina basketball game. Um, it's a great time to welcome on our good pal Skip back to the podcast. Um, tough one for Duke, uh, North Carolina kind of ran away with it at the very end, made the score look a little worse uh, than than what the game really was. I mean, it was back and forth the whole time. Um, just a very interesting game. Um, and I want to start with one thing real quick. So I want to see if I can get your thoughts on it. Before we get into all the uh, theatrics of the evening, it being Coach K's last game. But um, I actually heard this on a different podcast, so I can't take credit for um, this original idea. But it really resonated with me, so I feel inclined to share it. Um, nobody talked about North Carolina the whole week leading up to it. Nobody even, like, like I watched all of College Game Day at Cameron um, this, past, this Saturday, past Saturday morning. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of mention of North Carolina, but it was just so overshadowed by Coach K's final game, and rightfully so. But um, just some, I, I mean, North Carolina had every intention on winning that game and, and every capability of winning that game, in my opinion. And it just didn't seem like they were getting talked about enough. Um, and I really think it cost Duke. Um, love to hear, uh, Skip, your thoughts on this. Uh, give us a rundown of the game, and glad to have you back with us, buddy. Yes, sir, man. Um, glad to be back, and obviously a super, super tough loss for Duke this past weekend. Um, you know, just as tough as it gets, man, uh, with it being Coach K's last game, with it being such a huge rivalry game. Um, you know, the stage, the stage was set, like you said. A lot of talk about Coach K going into the game, rightfully so. Um, and he definitely deserves the credit when credit is due. Um, but obviously, wish it could have been a different outcome for Duke. A really, really tough way for him to go out on his last game ever at Cameron. And, um, you know, it, it was from a, a fan standpoint, from a, a Duke and UNC rivalry caliber game like it always is. I mean, it was a great basketball game for sure. Um, I, like you said, I think the score kind of uh, was not as indicative as it, it felt like it was a, a way closer game, the majority yeah. of the game. Um, and then North Carolina obviously pulled away at the very end, but uh, pretty disappointing effort as far as Duke goes, giving up 94 points in the very last home game for coach K ever it's got to be not a good taste in his mouth at all mm -mm. um most of the time whenever you score 81 points you're supposed to win so um one of those things it's very tough but you know you, you can't do anything about it now it's it's over with it's in the past and um I, I do think I feel like the players obviously we cannot speak on their behalf but I feel like the players were 
in a way playing a little bit timid during that game just because um, you know, there probably was a lot of pressure on them going into the game to live up to those standards and live up to all the hype. So you, you gotta, you gotta have respect for them in that aspect, you know, that they had a lot on their plate and a lot was asked of them. Um, so you can't be too harsh on them, but, um, you know, as coach K said in his speech after the game, he said that it was an unacceptable performance and, uh, but he did follow that up with saying that the season is not done yet so he still left the Duke fans with some hope and it was great to see them you know after a tough loss obviously uh, ESPN was showing fans crying in the, in the stands and whatnot so very very devastating but that kind of gave him a little bit of hope uh, him saying that the season is not done and uh, they eventually gave him a standing ovation and the entire team a standing ovation as well so uh, hopefully they can just kind of move on from that um, have that weight lifted off their shoulder a little bit. And, uh, you know, as every other team in the nation, their record is zero and zero now. So um, the only game that matters now is, is the very next one on their schedule. Yeah, you're right. And, um, yeah, the, the enormity of the situation uh, for an 18, 19, 20-year-old um, is crazy um, in that scenario for them. It'll be that way at, uh, at Kansas um, when Bill Self retires, you know, other, you know, whatever other places, um, it, it would be that same way. I will say this in terms of being a non-biased Duke fan, um, I think Coach K put a lot of that on the players. I get that he's one of the most storied basketball coaches of all time. But this whole, you know, see a later tour was just going to boil up to this final moment. Um, and, and that's just – it's already a, the most important game of the weekend. And then you add that on top. I really do think you're right, Skip. And other, I've seen this from other people too. Um, it's just a lot. And, and like I said last week, North Carolina sitting there having to listen to it, their most hated rival – all week talk about him talk about all the times he's beat North Carolina um I mean they played like they were pissed um and and quite honestly in my opinion I think it exposed some Duke weaknesses um uh Armando Bacot was a problem the whole game um he absolutely dominated the paint now I'm not saying Duke didn't get into the paint and score but uh he was he was getting rebounds he had the biggest block of the night. Uh, Duke had a chance to make it real interesting at the very end um, on a fast break layup, and uh, old Armando got his left hand to it. And and after that, it wasn't – it was ball game. Um, North Carolina, I believe, came down and scored again. And, uh, and, and Duke comes up in the tournament against a team with a good big guy that can do things like that. Could be an issue. And then on the flip side of that, a big guy that can space the floor, Brady Manick, and I'm not saying this just him specifically, I'm saying for Duke in the tournament, a guy like Brady Manick who can absolutely stroke from three. Um, he, he was on fire in that game. Uh, and, and I think North Carolina, I think they wanted to play the best game of their year uh, on that night. And, and they wrote a history – or, they, excuse me, they wrote a chapter in that storied rivalry – and a chapter that North Carolina fans are going to want to read over and over again, um, you know, 
just that scenario is a perfect opportunity for your rival to have that. I mean, that is a crushing blow to Duke fans in that rivalry. Just having that, that little asterisk by that game, it'll always be Coach K's last game at Cameron. It's a loss to North Carolina. So I think it was kind of a perfect storm for the Tar Heels, and they really took it and ran with it. Um, and we were talking about this on the um, right, right before we got on here. Uh, turnovers, man. We'll talk about my team here in a second, um, and it really bit them in the ass too. But turnovers, uh, North Carolina, for a very long stretch of the second half, had no turnovers. And uh, Duke had five at that point. And, and right there, that's five extra possessions that North Carolina had that Duke didn't. And um, they won by about what? What was the final score, Skip? It was 94 to 81. So, I mean, I'm not saying that you're going to score on those all five of those possessions, but you don't even give yourself a chance. And uh, that obviously hurt them in the long run. But, um, Skip, your final thoughts? Yeah, I agree, man. And kind of going back to what I was saying, um, I think that those turnovers, part of it was was the fact that the Duke players were playing a little bit timid, I feel like. Um, you know, they made some costly turnovers right whenever they were – it looked like they were gaining the momentum back. The crowd was behind them. Uh, they made some good plays down the stretch. But, you know – Real quick, Skip, I just want to interrupt you real quick to add to what you're saying. I have written down – it was 61-61 with 9.21 left in the second half. So, like, this is a game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and quite frankly, Duke outplayed him in the first half. Um, it, it looked like Duke was was going on a big run going into halftime. And um, and, you know, it looked like they were they were going to gain that momentum and, and hopefully keep playing that well in the second half. But it was just a, a complete tale of two stories. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they blew North Carolina out by 20 at North Carolina and um you know, we've been talk about, talking about it all year that North Carolina is a very, very good team, but they just completely looked like two different teams in those games. Um, Duke was getting every single shot that they wanted the first time. They were moving the ball. They were sharing the ball. Um, but this go around at Cameron, I mean, we just – they could not get a stop on defense. You mentioned Armando Bacot, uh, super dominant big guy inside. He had 23 points. Caleb Love had 22. RJ Davis had 22. Brady Manick had 20. So, I mean, there's over 80 points out of their 94 points from four guys. So uh, you just cannot let that happen. And um, it's it's pretty uh, pretty disappointing because, you know, it's, it's one of those things that obviously you wish that you could go back and do it again and get another shot at it. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, Duke cannot expect to give up 94 points and and be able to win any sort of basketball game. So um, it was pretty, uh, pretty disappointing to see. And uh, hopefully, you know, they can learn from it. Hopefully they can kind of get back to another thing I felt like that they were doing. They were forcing shots. Um, I mean, Paulo Bancaro is a great player, but he had 26 shots. He was 10 for 26 from the field. And that leading up to this point, that's not gotten Duke to where they're at at this point in the season. You know, they're really good at sharing the ball. They're really good at hitting the open guy for the shot. But whenever I felt like a lot of the times against UNC this past weekend, they were just going one-on-one -on -one a lot. They were forcing shots, which led to those, you know, 
bad shots or, or turnovers. Um, and then any basketball fan knows that uh, a bad shot or a turnover is the worst thing that can, you know, transition the opposing team into their offense, you know, bad shot, long rebound, they get out in transition, they get an easy bucket. Uh, I mean, that's just a complete momentum killer. And um, in games like that, you know, you cannot afford to turn the ball over that late in the game. Uh, that will every single time, 10 times out of 10, that will come by, come back and bite you in the butt for sure. So uh, just disappointing, man. But, you know, it, it is crazy just the magnitude of that game kind of taking a step back and just reflecting on it. The, the fact that the average ticket price was over $5,000. And um, they mentioned in the broadcast that fans started camping out in Shashevskyville uh, about six weeks ago, which mm. is insane. Yeah, They were talking about how students were literally taking shifts um, for each of their tents so they could keep their spot in line just for this game. So, um, you know, it, it just goes to show you the, the positive impacts that sports have. And uh, again, those people that were crying in the stands after the game, I mean, they, they're just so passionate about it and, and so much will, I mean, that will forever be written in the history books that coach K's last game at Duke um, at Cameron indoor stadium was a loss, unfortunately, but um, again, another stellar Duke and UNC rivalry game for sure. Yeah. Um, and we won't, we won't spend uh, more time on that game. Um, don't want to make it too sad, Skeeby. But hey, like Coach K said, you got an ACC tourney and NCAA tournament. You can definitely, I think you can win both. So there you go. Absolutely. Oh. Every team now is, uh, is, has a record of zero and zero. So it's a whole brand new season now. Yep, only up from there. Sticking in the ACC, got to give you a quick shout out, Skip. You called this maybe two weeks ago, I think. ACC uh, released their uh, players of the year. Um, and our and our guy, Alondis Williams, won the ACC Player of the Year. Wake Forest quickly playing themselves into a team that can be dangerous in the tournament like we talked about last week. Um, they're also going to be a handful in the ACC tournament, I would imagine. Um, they, uh, they're quickly climbing up the rankings here. Um, and their head coach was the coach of the year, Steve Forbes. He also just signed a huge extension with uh, – and I meant I mean huge in terms of number of years. It's not that crazy money wise, but he signed an extension with Wake Forest uh, just today. Um, pretty cool for um, a program that kind of gets overlooked in a in a really good basketball conference, and and they got themselves at twenty three and eight going into ACC tourney play. So watch out for the Demon Deacons for sure. Shout out Alondis. Shout out Skip. Yeah. I told you, man, he can hoop. He's, he's a fun player to watch. He can score at all three levels. Um, he's a physical player. He plays with a lot of energy. Um, so, you know, whenever you have – anytime you have that caliber of a player on your team, you definitely have a chance. So, uh, Wake Forest is for sure going to be a handful, and, and they're not going to be an easy out in the tournament one bit. Right. I completely agree. Sticking with news um, – more newsy things when we'll get into some games. Three teams, as we sit here and talk to each other, Skip, have punched their ticket to the big dance so far. Real quick, we'll go over the Ohio Valley Conference winner, Murray State, 30-2 and two on the season. Um, run the table in the OVC. Um, ran the table in the OVC tournament. They're going to the big dance. Loyola 
Chicago, Missouri Valley Conference champion, back-to-back years for the first time since 62-63, to be exact, um, under first-year head coach Drew Valentine, who's also the youngest coach in the NCAA, have punched their ticket to the big dance. And perhaps the one that has the most history related to it, winners of the Big South, Skip, real quick, I'll give you 10 seconds. It's the Longwood, and you get 10 seconds to uh, guess their mascot. Oh, gosh, I don't even want to say something ridiculous, but it sounds pretty ridiculous. I should know it. I just saw a picture of it today. Um, The Longwood blank from the Big South Conference. Yeah, you got it. Hit me with it. What is it? uh, They are the Longwood Lancers. Not to be confused with St. Louis area Lafayette Lancers. The Longwood Lancers are going to their first ever NCAA tournament this year. There seems to always be one. um, And so far, they are it. Uh, Skip, honestly, I don't know much about Longwood, but I know a lot about Murray and Loyola. And those two teams can be huge issues, making some pretty deep runs, in my opinion, in this tournament. Both teams super balanced, tough, can play defense, and can really score um, Murray more than Loyola. But watch out for those two. Yeah, Chan, that's uh, you just brought up a great point, man. And, and it's crazy just how success, you know, just completely changes the outlook of, of some of these programs. You know, Murray State, for instance, they had John Moran a couple years ago, made a historic run in the tournament. And now they're sitting here at 30 and two. Um, I mean, I would love to know their overall record in the last like three or four years combined. Cause if you're winning 30 games in one season, you are in a special category for sure. Um, so just, just the overall impact that, that winning can have on a program. And then we go to Loyola. I mean, they obviously made that magical, magical historical run. Um, a couple of years ago in the tournament, shout out uh, Sister Jean. She yeah. will definitely be in the stands uh, for every single game, I'm assuming. Um, but yeah, I mean, things just don't change once you start winning and once you start learning how to win. And the reason I say that is because you said that Loyola has a first year coach. I mean, they've just set that standard now. They They have that expectation of winning the conference and punching their ticket year in and year out. And it, you know, it doesn't matter who, who is at the helm necessarily for a head coach. You know, if you, if you guys, if you have guys that are bought in and they have been there and done that and they want to be a part of something special, I mean, the sky is the limit and anything is possible. So Mm -hmm. um, pretty cool to see those kind of stories, just, you know, the transformation of programs and, and being able to, witness them you know experience that continued success yeah dude um it's gonna be those those teams have legit uh chances to make some good runs while you were talking there i quickly pulled up murray's last five seasons uh i'm just gonna go over their wins each of those seasons um because i can't do quick math but 20, okay, so we're, I'm going to go back to five years ago. So the 2017-18 season, they went 26 and six. Next year, they went 28 and five. The next year, they went 23 and nine. 
Um, last year, COVID, they went 13 and 13. So that's a bit of an outlier. And then this year they went 30 and two. So like you said, it's, it's all, it's all on a platform. You, you build it up. And, and once you reach a level of, of expectation, you just, it just radiates throughout your program. Look at Gonzaga is on a, a, a major scale uh, compared to Murray, but I mean, Gonzaga is a like nothing special place. They just built a foundation and it's, it's, you know, changed that university forever. Um, it'll always be really good basketball school. So yeah, really cool to see them. Um, same with Loyola and you never know what Longwood can do uh, <laughs> pen, pending on who they play. So I uh, just wanted to mention that real quick. Um, now let's get into some games, uh, some games uh, that I saw over the week and weekend. Um, I'm going to start with our guys uh, in the Big East. Um, I don't want to, I don't want the listeners to think that I've been just this Big East homer, but Lenardi has them today, Skip. The Big East is going to have seven teams he projects in the tournament. That's crazy. Um, I've been telling you, uh, excuse me, I said that kind of weird. I've been telling you this all year since we started this uh, episode. Um, how good the big East I thought it is. Um, and, and Providence and Villanova and a rematch at Villanova down to the wire again, um, another two point win in this matchup this season for Villanova. Um, I honestly couldn't believe it. <laughs> it almost looked like a carbon copy of the game they had um, in Providence. But if this, this just goes to show you that this big East tournament, I'm telling you, you've got to watch. It's going to be at the garden. Um, it's good every single year, and I'm predicting this could be one of the best years there are um, for this tournament. One thing about Providence, shout out Jared Bynum, our guy we've been talking about all year. He won the sixth man of the year award in the Big East. Um, I think that was kind of a no-brainer, but still cool because we've been shouting him out since this episode started, Skip. Um, so we got to feel pretty good about that one. But th- these two teams, these two teams are nasty, and they can make they're going to make life miserable for a tournament team. So, Chan, two things for you on that. So, I feel like the Big East, almost every single game, it never fails. We've talked about this a lot. It is either a two to five point differential that goes down to the very last minute or goes down to the very last wire or either that or an overtime game. I mean, mm-hmm. it just never fails with those big East teams. And, and I feel like there's, there's not really necessarily like a dominant team in the big East. They're all just really, really, really good teams. So um, you said that they're going to have seven teams potentially in the tournament. That's gotta be one of the most out of any conference. Correct. As of right now, Joe Lenardi, I'm actually, I had this for the end, but yeah, they have seven teams projected in the tournament right now. And that doesn't mean, I mean, like, like to keep talking about what you're talking about, like those could be seven teams that are already in the tournament. And one of those seven teams could not win the big East. And one of you know, you could get an automatic bid by winning the tournament. Uh, I think that's very possible. I mean, I don't want to play a March Xavier. They're not, they haven't had that good of a year. But, like, you want to come up against them in the tourney? I don't think so. So teams like that, teams you don't even think about, like a St. John's, um, Mike Anderson is one of three active coaches that has, like, had 20-plus wins in his last, like, X amount of years. It's like a crazy streak that he's on. and It's like Coach K, him, and somebody else. Like, it's ridiculous. So 
there's teams all up and down that conference. And it's great to see Chan because I know that whenever we were growing up um, as little kids, the Big East was hands down year in and year out the best conference for sure. Um, I mean, everyone knew about the Big East. Everyone talked about the Big East. Like it was, it was definitely one of the meccas of of college basketball. And um, kind of in recent years, it's been a little down, so to speak. And so. Um, to see the Big East back and and uh, it, it's a pretty good feeling and it just it's just another testament of how good college basketball truly is. Um, I mean, we've talked about this numerous times over and over that there are so many teams out there that are going to have a legitimate chance of winning a national championship this year. Um, I mean, I, I would love to see uh, once the brackets come out. I would love to see you know the amount of different teams that are projected to win. And it's just like, you never really know what you're going to get game in and game out. And so um, it's, it's great for the sport. It's going to make March madness even better than it already is. Um, I mean, I feel, I feel like every year we say like, Oh, there's no way I can get, get even better than this. And then the next year we say the same exact thing. So yeah, uh, I, I really do feel like this March Madness is going to be one for the books. Um, and I am super, super stoked. I cannot wait for it to get started. Yeah, keep an eye out for Villanova's Connor Gillespie, too. Um, that's kind of a not a hot take at all, but kid is a baller. Um, been there forever. Um, he, the, Nova is really good. Um, a team I want to mention real quick that we kind of talked about, um, I think maybe three episodes ago, Skip, I said maybe keep out, keep an eye out on Memphis. Um, <clears throat> they're nasty right now. Uh, they are 10 of their last 11. They've won, um, gotten themselves into a, uh, a last four, or excuse me, they're, they're just in the tournament at this moment, um, having won their last 10 out of 11. Um, they played Houston, who we were hyping up. I was definitely hyping up. I think one of the first couple episodes, um, they've kind of fallen off a little bit. Memphis beat them 75-61. Um, Penny Hardaway might have found something out, figured something out differently. They might have just came together. Um, I don't know what the story is in Memphis, honestly, because they've kind of been under the radar. But anytime you win 10 of 11 going into tournament play, you're going to be pretty good. Um, and, and look out for the Memphis Tigers. Another team that I talked about last week, Skip, uh, I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, I talked about last week, Bama, and I kind of put them in that little category of like, yeah, they're good, but let's, you know, let's make sure that um, they're actually as good as we're saying they are and not basing it off their past history. Um, two bad losses since uh, the since that last episode. Uh, lost to Texas A&M and lost to unranked LSU. Both teams unranked. Um, Bama was on the fringe top 25. I believe they're in the top 25 starting of last week. Um, they're definitely out of it now. Um, you just can't lose games like that. And we're going to get to a different team that has a legit chance to win a national title in a second. But you can't lose games like that, especially when you want people to take you seriously. Um, and LSU is a... Uh, they, they've been so up and down all year, um, and AM hasn't been that great. So you're Alabama looking to make noise, um, especially in the SEC tournament. Um, you just can't have those losses. 
Yeah, that's a brutal loss um, for them against Texas A&M. I mean, they lost 87 to 71, so they lost by 16. So it's not like they're even in the game, so to speak. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've talked about it from day one, Chan, that, that those, those type of losses, they, if you aren't careful, those, those bad losses can compound into two or three losses in a row. And then, and then you're in a really bad spot. So, um, I mean, if you're Alabama, you're, you're obviously still going to make the tournament. So you don't have to worry about that necessarily, but, um, I mean, I know that they were they were preseason like top 15 teams. So they had a lot of expectations coming into the year. Um, and I know, I think that we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, actually, they, they had won a couple games in a row and, and it looked like they were kind of going to be turning it around a little bit. And then now they're kind of plummeting again. So um, you can't have those, those highs and lows throughout the season. I mean, you, you got to stay consistent and you have to win the games that you're supposed to win. And, um, you know, that obviously is what boosts your resume. And then you got to have some really, really quality wins as well. So um, just a really, really tough loss for Bama, especially with the SEC being so loaded as it is. Um, I mean, we've talked about this several times. The SEC from top to bottom is, is absolutely loaded. So um, not as bad of a loss, in my opinion, to LSU. Uh, Arkansas did barely escape LSU this past week. Um, mm -hmm. Arkansas beat them 77 to 76. So LSU has some talent. They have some potential. Um, again, they're, they're only 20 and 10 on the season. So they've had a, a down year in, in their standard, but, um, yeah, man. I mean, going into conference play, you got to have the, that momentum going forward and you cannot afford to have, uh, any bad losses on your resume. And there's honestly a couple of, of other teams that I'm sure we'll get to, to uh, talking about here in a second, but a couple of other teams um, in the nation who have had some bad losses as well. So just uh, you got to be playing your best basketball at the right time of the season. Yeah. Um, and one final point I want to make about, uh, this is kind of backing up real quick about Houston. Houston uh, rankings come out today, AP top 25. They're 18th. They were second at one point. So really sliding there. Um, a game that I, uh, <clears throat> that I had a little bit of interest in for some reason, because I actually watched the first matchup um, and it was a neck and neck game. This one's a little bit different. Um, UCLA versus USC. Uh, USC went to UCLA this weekend. Um, uh, UCLA pretty much dominated, uh, much different than when USC won. Uh, it was a neck and neck game. USC gutted it out. Um, USC uh, has lost two in a row. Um, UCLA, I feel like people aren't talking about them very much. Number 13, uh, they're kind of nasty, really good guard play. We talked about them last week. Keep your eye on the Bruins for sure. Um, yeah, Chan, the, I really, oh, sorry. not to cut, not to cut you off, man, but oh, I, I really like, uh, UCLA. Uh, they got, uh, Jamie Jaquez. He has been going off recently. Yeah. Uh, he had 30 points against Washington and followed it up with 27 points against, uh, USC. So really good win for UCLA. Um, they got Jaquez. They have, um, some other good guard play as well. I'm trying to play. Ty Ty and Johnny Juzang. 
Johnny Juzang. Or no, not yep, Ty yep. Ty. Not, not, not Ty Ty. Tiger Campbell. Yeah, Tiger Campbell and Johnny Juzang. Yep. Yeah. Um, so UCLA, they're they're tough. Um, and so I, I like their team a lot for sure. So watch out for the Bruins, like you said. <laughs> yeah, Ty Ty plays for Kentucky, I believe. Ty Ty Washington. Yes. <laughs> but yep. a couple ties there. Uh yeah, Bruins are legit. Um I really liked this game, Skip, and this actually happened last night. Uh, a lot of good rivalry games this weekend, by the way. I feel like a lot of them are, of course, overshadowed by the Duke-North Carolina game, but really good rivalries. Uh, I mean, Bama-LSU, UCLA-USC, Arkansas-Tennessee, which we're going to get to after I talk about this rivalry. Iowa versus Illinois last night was an exceptional basketball game, Skip. I hope you watched it. Uh, two really good teams in the Big Ten. Um, Iowa, Iowa's kind of funny to me because they don't really seem very interested in, in playing defense. They don't play horrible defense, but they definitely don't seem to really care about it that much. Um, but they can flat out score. Illinois kind of seemed like it was the opposite to me where they're trying to get nasty, try to get physical. Um, their guards are okay shooters, in my opinion. Now, they could have just been off a little bit last night, but they didn't play that well um, for the entire game. They played well down the stretch, I'll say that. But these two teams went back and forth, two really good Big Ten teams, like I said. Um, both teams with a tremendous amount of ability to make a deep run in the tournament. Um, and really what it came down to was our guy Kofi Coburn, he was just too much for the Hawkeyes last night. The dude is an absolute tank. Um, I don't know how you defend him. Iowa sure couldn't, um, and they have pretty tall players. you got to have a, a special player to be able to guard a special player like Kofi Coburn, um, and he was the difference. It came down to the end. Um, I believe Illinois won 73-71, if I have my numbers correct, um, and, and he was just too much in the second half. He went off. Yeah, dude, he dropped 21, 21 points and had 14 rebounds, and – um, the thing with him is that he's so efficient every single game, it seems like. I mean, he's uh, he shot nine for 17 last night, and he's just an absolute force. I mean, uh, when you have that guy that you can throw the ball to inside, and, and we've talked about this several times, so I'm going to reiterate it, but when you have a guy like that that you can throw the ball into every single time and he can either get you an easy bucket, he can draw a foul on the other team, and then on the defensive end, to have an anchor like that, I mean, that's got to give those guys, those guards for Illinois, such confidence knowing that if their guy does get by them, that they have Kofi in the, in the paint um, that can protect the paint for them. So um, really, I mean, Illinois, I like Illinois' team a lot. Uh, yeah. I think they could be really, really dangerous. Um, and, you know, for them to gut out a win like that against a really, really good Iowa team who's played very well recently. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about, talked about it several times, how Iowa just has a, a ton of, uh, a ton of sharpshooters. I mean, they can really just flat out shoot the ball. Um, I'm looking at it right now and they only had, they were eight of 21 from three last night. So um, I think if you're Iowa, you're the type of team that, in order for, for you to have a really good chance of making a deep run in the tournament, they, I mean, they've got to be making like 10 plus threes every single game um, because they don't really have too much of an inside presence. Like you said, 
Kofi was just too much for them to handle last night. So they really got to rely on the three, which is uh, is definitely a, a love-hate relationship because it can be great if you have great shooters and you're hitting threes and uh, scoring a lot of points, but it can also be your kryptonite if you show up in the tournament and you're not hitting your shots. I mean, that can that can be the difference in the game. So you know what they say, man. You live by the three and you die by the three. So um, – I think Iowa, they're a very good team, but I don't really see them making a whole lot of noise in the tournament, unfortunately. Um, but Illinois, on the other hand, I, I think that they could be very, very difficult for people to handle. Yeah, um, and we've been talking a lot about the Big East tournament. The Big Ten tournament will be phenomenal, too. Uh, moving on to another rivalry game. Uh, you mentioned it um, no, actually, you didn't mention it. Uh, so I'll mention it. Arkansas versus Tennessee. Great game. Um, uh, two really good teams. Tennessee, quiet, we talked about them, I think, a couple weeks ago, Skip. They're quietly hanging around in that 16-17 spot, have only won games since they beat Kentucky at Tennessee. Remember that game? They got a huge win against Arkansas, um, and they are now ranked ninth in the country um, for you know, shot themselves up the rankings um, at, at really the right time. And, and this, it's, I don't, th this loss for Arkansas doesn't really do anything for me. They lost by four, I believe it was 78, 74. Arkansas is a really good team. Um, I'm not worried about them at all, but I think this says a little bit more about Tennessee, just where they're at right now, um, because they had been kind of that, like, were they really good? Were they going to put it all together or were they just going to kind of hang out in the, the 15 to 23 range or were they going to get themselves into the top 10? And, and they answered that question, I think, and really solidified it against Arkansas as they head into the SEC tournament. Um, I'm watching out for both teams here. Um, I don't want to play either team, especially in a tournament setting. Um, so moral of the story, great win for the Vols. Okay. Loss for uh, Arkansas. Um, and really both these teams are ready for the tournament, in my opinion. Yeah, this was a great game, uh, Arkansas against Tennessee. I know that Arkansas in the first half, they were down 20. Um, so for them to come all the way back and make it a, as close of a game as they did says a lot about their character as a team. Um, and yeah, dude, I completely agree. I, both of these teams are very, very dangerous teams. Um, again, Arkansas made that historic run last year, so they do have that experience. Um, they have some returning players from that team as well. Uh, J.D. Note being one of those guys. He uh, he had 20 points against Tennessee. Um, and, yeah, man, I mean, Tennessee, they – I feel like that win against Kentucky really uplifted them. And, um, you know, that that kind of got them going in the right direction. And and they're uh, – I, I really like the, the dynamic of their team. Uh, and the reason I say that is because they have – this uh, actually relates to a, another team that we'll get to talk about here in a second as well. Um, but just the fact that they're so balanced. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's great to have a superstar in your team, uh, but sometimes that can only get you so far. I mean, you can't, you can't put all your chips in one basket and, and just rely on one guy to take you to the promised land. And um, again, that's kind of where Duke fell, fell into that hole this past weekend. I felt like they were relying too much on Paulo Bancaro. He, he was 10 for 26 from the field 
And then I, I know I just mentioned JD Note. He's a great player, but um, you know, they uh, I'm just using this as, as an example. He was only six for 20 from the field against Tennessee and Arkansas really only played six guys, pretty much six to seven guys. Um, while Tennessee, I mean, they were going eight, nine deep mm-hmm. and they had dudes that had, uh, 15, 15, 12, 13. So a much more balanced attack. And, and, you know, I think that that's so important going into the tournament, Chan, uh, you know, teams like, like Duke again. And, and I feel like Kansas has recently fell into this trap a little bit. I mean, you can't play five to six guys for 40 minutes every single game and be able to expect them to take you to the promised land. I mean, you, you can't do it. You have to have a solid rotation of, you know, seven, eight, nine guys that can come in and give you quality minutes because, um, you know, there's it's just so much to ask out of these guys to play game in and game out, give it their their absolute best effort on the offensive and defensive end. Um, I mean, it just has to be a total team effort. And so, um, you know, again, kind of going back to J.D. Note, six for 20 from the field. While Tennessee, the most shot attempts that one of their guys had was 12 shot attempts. Wow. So that just that just goes to show you that, um, you know, it, you can't rely on one or two guys to, to win you every single game. You, you have to play as a team for sure. Yeah. And I was actually going to guess um, who you were who you were wanting to talk about uh, based on depth and married to really playing like six guys and I figured it was going to be Kansas so what a great segue by you um professional but uh KU had a weird week um we talked about a little bit last week but it finally happened uh they played TCU on Tuesday and then turned around and played them again on Thursday and then had to play Saturday um so it was a makeup game um I'm not sure if it was because of COVID or weather um but it could have been either then regardless it happened um, KU went to Fort Worth first and actually lost, um, which was crazy. Um, I did not see that coming at all. Um, TCU, not a great year. Uh, you know, definitely a game that Kansas had no business losing, but that's the Big 12. Um, that's really – I shouldn't even say that's the Big 12. That's college basketball because um, – I, maybe the biggest storyline of the week weekend we haven't even talked about that really no one's talking about, I feel like. But, um, yeah, TCU handles business in Fort Worth. Then they come back to Lawrence and Kansas won. <laughs> Not a surprise there. And then Kansas plays a really interesting Texas team to me, Skip. Texas has been so up and down all year. Huge wins. Um, beat Kansas in Austin. But – weird losses here and there and and that whole texas tech thing was weird to me kind of like texas was i thought they were just got bullied um by tech uh on the court and really off the court um kind of a weird power dynamic there you think of texas being in charge all the time but tech i think did something to that program but kansas uh Actually, a crazy ending to this game, Skip. I don't know if you watched it, but um, at the end of regulation, the game was tied, and as time was winding down, Kansas actually banked in a three um, to presumably win the game, but it under review, 
And I think everybody knew it too, because like none of the players really celebrated that hard. Like there was, you know, like they were hugging him, but like it, everybody was kind of like, eh, we don't know. It goes to review, it gets waved off. Um, and so it goes to overtime, but Skip, we've watched too much college basketball. You're not winning overtime in Lawrence. Um, it's just going to be an insane feat uh, for your ball club to do. And Texas could not do it. Um, credit to them, though, for getting it to overtime. But at the end, the Jayhawks were too much. But Kansas, I, I've been kind of weirdly rooting for them. Um, I don't, maybe it's because of my buddy Nick Masoner. Probably that's exactly why, but they just like, I, I love what you keep talking about depth. They really don't play anybody else. I mean, 55, I forget what his name is. The guy that has the hyphenated name has been around for like seven years. Um, he's like their only guy off the bench, it seems like. Um, and they have Yusefu too, who transferred from Drake, but it just, this Kansas team's weird. They have no inside depth. If they played Illinois, um, unless it, unless Ochai went for 30 or 40, uh, they wouldn't be able to guard Kofi. I mean, I'm sure Bill Self would have something drawn up for him, but if he played like he did last night, I, I don't think Illinois loses that get that matchup. And that's just one instance or example, Skip. Um, not married to that. I'm sure there's several others, but uh Kansas, still weird team. Normally a team you think with depth, um, not the case this year. Yeah, Chan, they had a, a really strange week, like you said, playing the same team back-to-back. I mean, I, I can't remember that happening in recent just years. A, a day apart, too. They yeah. traveled, uh, and then they played again, you know? Yeah, pretty crazy. And I want to point out that Kansas could have easily lost all three of those games. Yeah, I mean, they lost at TCU and then they barely beat TCU at home. It was 72-68. And then obviously, like you just mentioned, the game against Texas in overtime, that that could have easily gone either way. So we could be sitting here right now talking about KU losing three games in a row. Um, so they are very, very lucky to come out of that with a two and one record. Um, and yeah, dude, you just mentioned it. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate it again. Um, you know, you can't rely on one guy and, uh, that definitely hurt Kansas against Texas. I mean, Ochai Abaji probably arguably going to be one of the, uh, player of the year finalists for sure. He's had an outstanding season, but he was one for 11 and he only had eight points and Kansas only scored 70 points. So it's like if you know if he's not scoring, who else is going to be scoring for? Him? Um, you know you can't you can't expect him to have eight points, which obviously is a bad game in in his regard. But for a good average college basketball player, I mean, eight points is not not horrible. But you know you can't just expect him to not have his best game and then not have anyone else step up and and help you out scoring wise so um yeah I just I don't I thought that Kansas was a much better basketball team early on in the season um but I don't know man I'm I'm kind of hesitant on them now uh I mean they do have a good inside presence with David McCormick but um do you think good 
I don't think good. I mean, he's he's serviceable. He's serviceable. <laughs> I, I I agree. Yeah, I mean, he's he's averaging ten points and seven rebounds, so could be better. But um, I, I think that their biggest thing is like, yeah, I mean, if Ochai is not going off or if uh, Christian Brown's not going off, like where's their scoring going to come from? I think that that's their biggest question mark right now. Um, but I do want to say pretty cool gesture by Kansas. I'm not going to lie. I, you know, we've talked about it that neither of us are Kansas fans and I don't like to give them too much credit, but pretty cool gesture. I thought with it being such a, a big game uh, with a lot on the line, uh, Bill Self still managed to start his seniors on senior day. Mm. Um, and some of his seniors played, you know, obviously a couple of them only played for two or three minutes, but just the, the simple cool gesture like that, I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, some of those schools don't do something like that at all. Um, that's a completely different topic, but just wanted to point that out. I thought that that was, uh, I thought that was pretty cool for him to do that on, on Kansas's senior day, but yeah, dude, again, man, big 12 wide open. Yeah. And uh, and I, I really do think that that, in my opinion, Baylor is the best team in the Big 12 right now. Um, they're the team that's playing their best. Uh, a couple of other teams, unfortunately, um, Texas Tech has had a couple of bad losses that you do not expect from them. Uh, they lost to TCU and they lost to Oklahoma State this past weekend by one. Um, yeah. So it, it's hard, man. It, this is. This is a, a tough point in the season. You know, you're just you're trying to fight tooth and nail to to get to your conference tournament. You're trying to, um, you know, get a conference regular season tournament as best as you can, uh, while still managing to not try and overlook teams. Um, and I think that that's kind of a, a good example right now. Maybe Tech possibly overlooked TCU and Oklahoma State just trying to get to the conference tournament and then they let one slip away. So um, it, it's kind of a weird point in the season. You know, there's so much on the line, but you can't afford to lose any games that you're not supposed to lose. And you're dealing with injuries. You're dealing with, you know, figuring out your, your rotation. Um, a, a lot of factors are going into it right now. So um, I, I think some of these teams, Mo probably most of these teams actually are are ready to just kind of take a breath and get to the conference tournament have nothing else to worry about have that have the conference tournament be their only focus and and just again this is a new season every single team is zero and zero so yeah. um, it's all about the best team that shows up on that day on that given day yep and another great segue by you. We'll get, we'll, won't spend much time on Baylor other than they're good, Skip. Uh, I think they are the best team in the Big 12 right now. Talk about a team that's playing the, playing their best at the right time, kind of like Tennessee. Uh, Baylor, we talked about them last week. Um, super under the radar, too, dude. I mean, they're third in the country, and I feel like no one's talking about them. Uh, they get huge win against Texas, um, I think, I believe, last Tuesday, and against Iowa State on Saturday, a game that they should have won, and they did, um, which, you know, some of these other teams, you know, let let them slip away. Um, I've been talking about the whole uh, episode here, but um, Baylor, they're just, they're nasty. 
Um, they're athletic. They can guard. They can score. Um, and those three right there are pretty much the keys to basketball. Um, and so they do them at a high rate. And another team that does a two-skip out west, a uh, team that hasn't really skipped a beat since losing to Colorado, uh, didn't let it affect them. But uh, it's the number one team name in the country, the Arizona Wildcats, uh, led by our boy Benedict Mathurin. Uh, they have two – after losing to Colorado, they respond with two 20-plus point wins on the road. Um, they beat USC – in Southern California by 20, huge win. At the time, USC, USC is ranked 21st right now. Um, you And then they go and they come back home and they play a really not a good Cal team, but probably a team that could beat them on their worst night like these other teams, and they beat them by 28. Uh, Arizona, I really think Gonzaga, Arizona, and Baylor right now are playing the best basketball Um you know, uh, amongst the top 10, I'd say. Uh, just just Arizona, they're kind of a lot like Baylor, in my opinion. They got guys that can score, and they got guys uh, who are freakishly athletic, um, and they make it really tough on teams. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Chan. I actually have that written down on my notes, too. I think Arizona is the hottest team in the nation right now. Um, and sometimes, you know, obviously you never expect them to lose a game like they did against Colorado, but you mentioned it in the episode previously. Um, it looked like they were kind of just lethargic out there. Didn't really, weren't really playing too hard. Weren't, weren't really playing too much of a good defense. So sometimes, you know, those are learning experiences and those are eye openers and, uh, they clearly got the message after, after yeah. dropping that game and they've just come out with a vengeance dude. And they, I mean, they have it all, man. They have uh, guys that can score. They play defense. They get out in transition um, just to throw some numbers at you. Their last three games, they, it was at USC. They scored 91 points and shot 56% from the field. They dropped 81 points against Stanford shot 51% from the field and then this past weekend scored 89 points against Cal and shot 63% from the field. So they are just efficient. Um, they score the ball, and uh, they are a very scary team right now. And then, like I said, in my opinion, they're probably the, the hottest team in the nation right now. Yeah, and those shooting numbers um... – I think tell a story that Arizona doesn't live or die by the three. They can easily score in the paint all game if they have to. Um, those exactly. numbers are those numbers are incredibly high. Honestly, those are great numbers. Skip this guy, yeah. people. This guy's a professional. That's why I have him on the show. Okay, <laughs> the guy is a professional. He comes, shows up, he's ready. Uh, half the time, he's more ready than I am. We're gonna, glad to have Skip. Um, God, dude, we've been talking for an hour now, and I don't really want to stop. So we're not going to, but I have kind of reached my last point um, here. Uh, and, and this could have been maybe the biggest uh, storyline <laughs> over the week, kind of from best to worst. Um, Wisconsin, huge day uh, for the Badgers on, I believe, Tuesday. Um, the pardon my take guys were there, Skip. I'm, I don't know if you know much about Big Cat or PFT, but uh, a couple of uh, my favorite podcasters, they 
went to the game. Big Cat went to Wisconsin, so everybody was fired up. Uh, they claimed uh, a share of the Big Ten championship on that night, beating a top ten team, Purdue. Um, you know, at home, had some luck. Uh, you know, they banked in a three, but that happens, um, and they won the game. And they, I mean, rightfully so, they celebrated, stormed the court. Um, you know, it was all over social media. Well, they turn around and host Nebraska, who's like 6-21 and 21 or something, at home on senior day and lose uh, a game that nobody has any idea how they lost. Um, the biggest storyline, though, in this game uh, was Johnny Davis left the game, uh, did not return. I believe he got hurt. Uh, the start of the second half or maybe even the start of the first half. It was one of the starts. I know that he was out for basically the entire um, part of a game. Um, and Wisconsin all year um, has played twice without Johnny Davis and they have lost twice. They lost at home to Providence and they, which honestly might not be the worst loss now, but they also then lost to Nebraska on Sunday, which could be the worst loss of any team this season, given what happened earlier in the week, winning a share of the Big Ten. Um, and that actually, that just kind of charged my memory here, uh, Illinois won last night, claiming the other share of the Big Ten title. So Wisconsin could have won it outright, I believe, had they won on Sunday against Nebraska, and they let the Illini take uh, part of it home with them. Um, so just a really interesting uh, story uh, of the week here. Uh, Wisconsin going from 100 to zero really quick, find themselves outside of the top 10. Uh, there's been some, some bad things I've read about Wisconsin in terms of their abilities this season playing against good teams. But um, we, like we've been saying, the recurring theme of this episode is it's a new season. Uh, so, you know, they're still number 12 for, for a reason. So we'll, we'll look out for the Badgers, Skip. Yeah, that is just an absolutely gut-wrenching loss. Uh, to have a chance to clinch the Big Ten title outright and you lose to Nebraska on your senior day, I yeah. mean, that cannot get any worse. <laughs> and for no. Wisconsin, man, I mean, they've they've been dealing with – a lot of antics uh, here recently, um, notably the uh, the fight in the in the handshake line against yeah. Michigan a couple weeks ago, and then now they lose uh, to a, a not very good Nebraska team on their senior day to win the conference title. I mean that that is just as tough as it gets, and um, and also like you said, to lose one of their best players too. Uh, do you know exactly what kind of injury he went down with? I read – well, I do know the injury. He left with, like, a lower leg injury. Um, I read some – I kind of got on a little Twitter deep dive and kind of got into it. I, I, like, searched Wisconsin basketball, and a lot of people were saying that uh, the Nebraska guy, like, threw some sort of cheap shot in the screen at Johnny Davis, kind of, like, stuck his knee out. I didn't really see it. Um, but you know, if you're a fan of Wisconsin, you might buy into it, but, uh, yeah, I think he was going around the screen and he kind of knocked knees or knocked legs with uh, the screener and, um, didn't come back. But I also read today that he's fine and that he's going to play in the big 10, uh, tournament. Um, he won't miss a minute apparently. So good news there. There you go. 
well yeah no it's man it's going to be so interesting to see how all these conference tournaments play out just because there are so many teams that are going to be contending for it and um you know some of these conference tournaments like we said dude there's there are so many good teams in college basketball right now that depending on how these conference tournaments shake out i mean that could be the difference for some teams between a one seed or a two seed or a two seed and a three seed so these games are going to have a huge effect on the seeding and uh we've talked about it before as well man like it's it's not only so important for the seeding but it's so important with who you get matched up with in, in your region um because you know you obviously want to have one of the quote-unquote easier paths to try and get to the final four um as we all know no path in the ncaa tournament is easy but on paper you know you would you would like to to hope that you would have a better chance playing certain teams so um yeah it, it's going to be so interesting to see how it all plays out and uh we got like you said some of the conference tournaments have already started most mm -hmm. of them start on wednesday um and then we have selection sunday on sunday so the countdown begins my guy yeah um i can't wait dude i really can't wait um i have some final notes just wanted to share uh get people caught up on where the the bubble stands um according to joe lenardi the last four in today are xavier wyoming rutgers and smu <laughs> so kind of very random but like i said dude hey you know what when you go when you listen to this episode you're gonna hear me say xavier and they're now all of a sudden a last four team in so that's what i mean about the big east i said xavier <laughs> i knew that it was in my mind somewhere and they're now our last four team in the tournament so keep your eye on them first four out of the tournament outside looking in um, Indiana, BYU, Dayton, and Virginia Tech. So those schools are going to need some losses and they're going to need some uh, miracles of their own if they want a chance. Um, Dayton, though, Dayton could maybe win the Atlantic 10. I mean, the Atlantic 10 can't be that good. Uh, so they might be able to get in there. Uh, and then my final note that I have written down, the top four uh, conferences that have the most teams projected in right now, um, in this order are the Big Ten with eight, Big East with seven, Big 12 and the SEC are tied at six. And I can't believe this, Skip. I would like to know the last time this number was that low. The ACC is projected only five teams in the tournament right now. That's crazy to me. Um, and I don't know that I can name but three of them. I would name Duke, North Carolina, and Wake Forest. And then, like, you got Virginia. But are they in? I don't think they're in. Virginia and possibly Miami. I know Miami's been on the bubble a little bit as well. Okay. I'm not for sure, though. Yeah, but, like, still, I mean, the ACC, down year for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, normally you have teams like Florida State. You got teams like Virginia, Syrac Syracuse, who are yeah. usually in it um virginia like you said yeah i mean so definitely a down year for the acc 100 percent. it's uh it's not nearly the caliber that it usually is this season right 
Um, so I just thought those were good little notes to have written down. Um, but honestly, next week we'll be coming to you on this on a Monday following Selection Sunday. It'll be a great uh, it'll be a great episode. We'll get to go over the brackets. Um, have a couple days uh, to think about what how you want to fill it out. I think you have from Sunday to like Wednesday. I think the playing games start like. Maybe you have like till Thursday at noon or something. It's kind of like a weird time, you know. <laughs> it's like you have till you'll you'll have till Wednesday, March sixteenth at eleven forty seven. And the first game will be like on True TV at eleven forty seven. So you'll have till like eleven forty five to get it turned in. Dude, we'll have True TV, TNT, CBS, we'll USA. Have it all. I think USA. Yeah. dude usa definitely has games oh yeah i just i cannot wait to be flipping from channel to channel and have the the dual monitors going it's just yeah. gonna be great i'm gonna have both my tvs and my laptop going it'll be be locked in well hey oh, yeah. skeeby what a good episode um great talking to you college basketball craziness man i'll talk to you later oh, yeah. okay Yes, sir, brother. Have a good week. We'll talk to you uh, this time next week with, with our brackets filled out, brother. You bet. Peace. See you, bro.